Hello and welcome to the Beast Mamas podcast. Today is our fifth episode <clears throat> and I'll be interviewing Nadine Peart Akindeli. She's a mom, a wife, a sister, a pediatrician. She's a young scientist. Ladies, now you know why Nadine is on this podcast because you can tell she already that she is a Beast Mama. Welcome Nadine and thank you for taking the time to sit with me today. Thank you so much, Farah. It's, it's an honor to sit with you today. Thank you. So Nadine, you know, we've known each other for such a long time, early, early guys essence. And yes. so that would be about maybe 15 years ago. Oh my gosh. Yes. It was a while ago. Goodness. It was, I mean, I remember meeting you and just thinking what a phenomenal woman who started her own company. And I think you had come to even I think my university at one point in time and um, had done an event. Yeah. yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah. Um, was it a Jack and Jill event? Was that? It was. Um, no, it was because uh, I was I was the president of the Caribbean Student Organization at the time. And so I think we had a tea for our Bob Marley Day, which is a, a, um, a, a fundraiser event that we did. Um, yeah. And it was it was lovely. Yeah, that's true. But I think the, the first first time we met, wasn't oh. it? remember I came to I came to do the tea for your organization but I believe we met I think it was a Jack and Jill event upstate remember I was presenting the teas that's a long or it was was it a Jack and Jill or was it an NAACP or like it was it wasn't or a national like a national I can't remember national negro women organization yes oh my gosh that was a while ago you were smart you were confident and I knew in that moment that you were just going to be successful and amazing everything that you were going to do in life you had all the qualities of success you had the discipline you had the dedication and you were absolutely focused telling me and sharing with me your vision for your life and what you were doing and and what path you were on and I was like wow oh my gosh It's like so. I every time you, t- I'm telling you, every time you talk to me about these things, I'm just like, really, Fire? I'm looking at you like you are amazing. So the fact that you say these things about me, I'm just like, oh, really? <laughs> True. I mean, like, like right, right before we started our podcast, you talked about having your circle, and I think it's very important yeah. to just have people along the way. And we're going to talk more about you know our mentors and people who inspire us. But it's very important to have the circle of people who really support us. And Nadine, you know, it doesn't surprise me that you became a physician, that now you are a pediatrician. So now you work with families to take care of your young ones. Congratulations on on reaching such a profound professional goal in your life. Oh, thank you. It has been quite the journey. So thank you so much. You're, You're very welcome. What has been, you know, first of all, why did you decide to become a scientist and then becoming a pediatrician. Oh my gosh, it's so funny how things happen because I really think it was really, like I serendipitously became a scientist. I started out um, just wanting to to work with children when I went into medicine. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to be a community physician. I want to, um, you know, be on the ground and I want to work with um, children from the most, you know, uh, socioeconomically disadvantaged groups. Um, Mm -hmm. And that still is my passion. I still love to be able to pour into those communities and um, to those children. Um, But then when I got into residency, um, I I had the 
experience of working with a pediatric infectious diseases physician. Um, Shout out to Dr. Rafi. (laughs) And he inspired me to really pursue um, this this next level of my education and so um, and training. And so I ended up going to uh, uh, into pediatric infectious diseases, Mm -hmm. not having a clue, really, because I had done some like minor research, you know, Mm -hmm. um, during my, my residency. But during um, my my fellowship, that was when I really was like, okay, this is what research is. And wow. so I had an amazing opportunity to just work with, you know, a well-renowned immunovirologist um, and, you know, got into uh, immunovirology and studied measles and viruses and how our immune response uh, re- responds to those different things. And so it, it has been quite a journey and I have learned so much um, but I'm glad that I was still able to stay in kind of like a public health realm um, mm-hmm. and still be able to to work with communities that I'm interested in working with. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. You know, tell us, you know, what was your experience like and what has it been like as a young female scientist? Oh, you know, it's like, it's been a very, it's been a mixture of beautiful and then like tragic at the same time. <laughs> that's life. Um, right? for, yeah, that's life. You know, it's just part of, um, unfortunately, uh, our experience often, especially as um, Black women, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel as though in, in some aspects I was welcomed with open arms and mm-hmm. there was this desire to have me succeed and I felt great about it. Um but then at the same time, there were so many, um, you know, missed opportunities is what I'll call them yeah. uh, to do better and to, to show me um, that um, these higher level of education, these, these institutions could do better. And so, um, you know, it's been a very, very uh, mixed um, experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I definitely will say that out of all of it, I've come out a better person, a stronger person. Awesome. Um, I know myself better. And just like, you know, we were talking about having the networks of people, like I know who my my support circle is. And it's it's really, it's beautiful to know that. I know, I think people, you know, see, you know, scientists, especially female scientists, and and they have preconceived notion that um, like you're a scientist now and you've made it, but they don't understand that even being in that realm, it oh. comes to being a woman and sometimes you're not welcomed. Yes, welcome in the yes. room. You, you're made to feel inferior. Not even people saying certain things. Sometimes they say mm-hmm. certain things. Sometimes it's just the way they look at you. I remember um, I was I speak at an event and I walked in and the lady at the door, she looked at me and she said, hmm, I expected someone else. Mm. And I go, wow. and, I, I, and I told her, I'm like, excuse me? And she was like, no, no, I just expected someone else. And she laughed. And so, but I was about to give a keynote address. So I wasn't going to allow that to, you know, phase me in the moment. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, it was very rude. And so Mm -hmm. after I spoke, she came up to me and she said, "Um, I'm sorry for disrespecting you earlier. Um, I didn't know who you were at the time. And you looked very young. Mm. It's the microaggressions for me, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's the microaggressions. Like, <laughs> I'm like, you guys are creative with these. Like, why Why yeah. did you even have to open your mouth and say anything? Sometimes yeah. I really do wonder, you know, in my time, I remember somebody told me that I speak differently than other <laughs> physicians around me. It's like, what does, that even, what does that even mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Like, what are you trying to say? I speak um, like Nadine. 
yeah like you know it's just I've had people who told me because I wear my hair natural and um, yeah. while I'm at work I've been told that I look like I was electrocuted like why like why is it that what? people feel the need to say these things you really just wonder wow. what is it that's happening in your life and it took me a long time to realize that it's not me it's mm-hmm. them right it's, them. it's not me it's them they have their own insecurities yeah. they have something that they're dealing with mm-hmm. and initially I used to internalize a lot of the things that were said and I used to be like oh my gosh like you know all of this whatever it's on me and I have to change but it's mm-hmm. not on me it's not on me it's on them it's on and them. I feel absolutely. bad for them yeah absolutely. I, feel, I feel very bad for them my mom used to tell us growing up there are going to be many thoughts in your mind but not everyone you have to voice and I think sometimes right. adults need to right. right. Your mom needs to be like broadcasted for the entire life. <laughs> That's what we need to do as a society sometimes. You have to understand that right. we, we're different. And the diversity is what makes us stronger. And sometimes if you don't understand something, you fear it. Yes. Not, even, not even allowing it a chance to unfold in front of you. You just fear right. it, period. And sometimes you miss a really amazing opportunity, whether it's a, a, a friendship, whether it's just knowing about a different culture. And that's what we need to be. We need to be yes. open to each other. Yes, we need to be open. I feel like the people who've said these things to me, like they've missed out. They really, they really have, you know, they missed out on an opportunity for themselves to learn something yeah. new about somebody. Um, and it's too bad for them. And I mean, I'm kind of shorthanded too, because I've missed out maybe to learn something from them. Because now I'm not going to be as interested in, in learning from somebody who has something like that to say about me. Yeah. So, yes. Absolutely. Because yeah. that's also very important. When you're in situations that are threatening, that are triggering, you you have to somewhat create your shield. If you right. allow everything they say to impact you, then by the end of the day, you have serious wounds. And when I say mm. wounds, it's mental wounds because they have triggered they've triggered you so many times. And so you feel weakened by the end of the day. And yeah. They go low. We got to go high. Yeah. Hey, here you go. I wanted to ask you, like, what is one experience that you've had, whether it's, you know, a positive experience or something that impacted you in a negative way that you remember to this day that has made you stronger? Mm, Something that impacted me in a negative way. Oh, positive. The dean that you are today. Sorry, you're always asking such deep questions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In my career, um, throughout this journey, there was one time in my life that I was accused, falsely accused of a medical error. And it was probably for me, um, if anybody who knows me knows that I'm like a little bit of a type A personality perfectionist, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. triple, triple checking everything that I do. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was like, you know, how could this be? And the incident was that, um, I was told that I withheld uh, a treatment for a patient that really, really needed it. And I, I remember sitting down with a supervisor and they were saying that, you know, my name had been brought up and that I was the one who did this. And I had to go back and chat. I was like, oh my gosh, like, could I have really made such a, a misstep? You know, like, could that? And then I started thinking, I was like, wait, when did this happen? I was like, I wasn't even working in the hospital the day that this happened. I was not even in the vicinity of this patient. I don't even, I didn't have any contact with this patient. And it turned out that it wasn't as intense an error as had been described initially. So I felt very targeted. You know, I felt as though there was an intentional, a very deliberate, um, um, uh, you know, um, um, 
like plan for some reason to just like to belittle me and to mm-hmm. to tarnish my name and my my uh and uh and my um my career at that time because it was coming from you know higher ups mm-hmm. and so after I had proven already you know you know that this was clearly not me and I was not even available I was not even present at this time mm-hmm. um I remember distinctly not getting any apologies <laughs> wow. um not having anybody come to me and say um you know I can't believe that we made a mistake on our point on our part mm-hmm. and, and did that I remember very distinctly that it never happened. Um, and I remember thinking to myself and saying, you know, this is why, this is unfortunately why I have to be 10 times better than. Mm-hmm. And it was a moment for me where I was like, you know, I can't allow people to walk all over me because I'm also very much a people pleaser. I can't allow people to think that I'm weak, even for mm-hmm. a second, mm-hmm. because the moment you show that vulnerability, um, people will take advantage of it. And it was just one of those experiences that were just, it was just eye-opening, just like, wow, I can't believe that this happened. Um, and it really, it was a lesson that I learned and it was actually a turning point for me um, in my career because I just, I, I had to, I knew I had to hold my head high and be proud of who I am and be confident um, no matter what. And also make sure to, again, be 10 times better than because there's always somebody who's trying to target you and to pull you down. Yeah. Wow. Thank, thank you for sharing that. That was very powerful. Tell me one lesson you learned from that experience. Mm. Um, one lesson I learned. Several. <laughs> so many lessons. Um, one lesson. Oh, never be afraid to stand up for yourself. I love it. I love it. Never be afraid to stand up. For, never, never feel like your voice is too small. Um, or that you cannot speak up for yourself because at the end of the day, um, you have to love you and you have to support you more than anybody else. So never forget that. Yeah, that was my biggest lesson. Wow, powerful, yeah. very powerful. We just started yeah. and it's deep. You know, deep. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to say always with a deep question. <laughs> and we oh, only just started. Oh my goodness. <laughs> So, you know, I remember, I remember as a little girl, really envisioning being an environmental scientist. It's something that I wanted to do. You know, I knew growing up, growing up in Dominica, and if anyone knows or has been to the Caribbean and has known of this Mm. beautiful place called Dominica, it's called the Nature Isle of the Caribbean. Because of just the extensive biodiversity, as a young scientist, I wanted to understand it for myself, the complexities of it. And be able mm-hmm. to educate people about it. Because becoming a scientist is, is, is not easy. It's, mm-hmm. it's very challenging. And you have to have the discipline, the dedication, and the focus. You know, from your experience becoming a pediatrician, what can you tell a young lady listening right now who's thinking about becoming a young physician? Oh, goodness. Of, of things that I wish I could tell. <laughs> tell, tell a young girl. I mean, I will say, so although I didn't know I was going to be a scientist, I did know I was going to be, I kind of knew I was going to be a physician because my father, my parents are Jamaican. And so there's only like three professions in their mind that were like considered <laughs> tangible for us as children. Um, I remember my dad very distinctly like assigning each one to us. Um, I love it. But um, so I, I did have an idea that I was going to become a physician. I, I wasn't, I didn't know I was going to love it as much as I did, mm. um, which I think is uh, what was kind of different in my experience mm-hmm. compared to mm-hmm. some other people's. Um, but what I would say is um, like, 
I wish I could say I was like the perfect child growing up and that I always, you know, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, I feel like I, I definitely, um, you know, tried my best and worked hard. And I think that's the biggest part of it is my dad used to always tell me, he's like, you know, Nadine, you know how many people there are that are doctors in the world? He's like, all of them can't be geniuses. <laughs> so if they can do it, you can do it. And I was like, okay, dad. Thanks for that advice. Dad's the best. <laughs> it's right. It's like, thanks, Dad. So um, so it definitely was like a moment for me to realize, like, you know, other people have succeeded at this. Mm-hmm. And so why should I ever believe it's out of reach for me? Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of what I pulled from my dad's lesson there. But um, it's, it's so I would tell a young girl, like, never feel like this is out of reach for you. And if you want to do it, if this is something that you think you're going to be passionate about, um, don't feel that it's out of reach because I think that's uh, the mindset is about 50% of the journey is just knowing that you can uh, mm-hmm. complete this and knowing that you can make it through the rest of it, hard work, you know, being ready to just make those decisions to, to stay in when your friends go out sometimes. But for the most part, the other half is really just your mindset, you know, being able to, to say to yourself, I can achieve this. Funny when you, when you said about your dad saying that, you know, everyone is a, is a um, physician or scientist is not a genius. When uh, my husband taught me to drive and um, I remember being absolutely nervous about driving. And so he told me, do you know how many people out there, you see how many accidents there are? Right. You're not great at it. It made me feel better. So I, you know, having people around us who make, you know, light of situations, like it really impacts our life. Because I will never forget, you know, when he told me that. And I'm sure, you, again, with you, you never forget when your dad mentioned that. Oh, to you. absolutely. And I, that will stick with, I don't even know if he remembers saying that to me, but I definitely <laughs> remember him saying that. So. <laughs> I love it. So, so let's let's talk about let's talk about our our West Indian heritage because oh, everybody yes. knows I'm West Indian. I'm Dominican. Um, this is who I am. This is this this island has made me the the strong woman that I am today. And for me, having children who are not growing up in Dominica, it's very important for them to go back. So, you know, prior to COVID, would go back every year and just be there. And my husband will tell you when I when I get home. He's like, you're a do- totally different person at home. Yes. I feel free. <laughs> I feel I can, I can be um, among my family, my, my people, my culture. It's, it's just an experience that makes me feel whole because That's there is beautiful. no place like home. What has it been like for you? Are you a first-generation West Indian? Were you born here? Were your, your parents are Jamaican, yeah. so did they migrate to so- America and then you were born here? Yes, my parents, they migrated um, to America from Jamaica in the 1980s with, uh, as my father would say, nothing but a suitcase full of pots and pans and $50 in his pocket. <laughs> so they really came, you know, knowing a struggle. You know, my I remember my mom and dad will still tell me stories about how when they first came here and, you know, what they had in- intended to do and where they ended up. They had to live in a garage for a while. Wow. Um, I remember my sister had been born and they were like, we can't stay here because the garage, like it was just too much. First of all, it was too cold for a baby to be living there. And it was, you know, getting flooded whenever it would rain. And then, you know, in the winter, they'd have a, a like a, a, a one of these, um, uh, like a, an oil heater thing that would leave. My mom said she would wake up and there'd be soot in her nose because mm-hmm. it was just such, yeah, just a bad, you know, they really, they really worked hard. My parents are like the definition of the American dream because <laughs> um, they worked hard and they raised three kids and have, you know, have, we've, we've all had 
great experiences in life thanks to them. So I was born here, um, but I am I hold my Jamaican heritage near and dear. Like, you know, my dad even tells me now, he's like, Nadine, you cook like a Jamaican. I'm like, yes. Yes. Thank you. I, highest yes. level compliment, Daddy. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Forget about my coursework. I cook like a Jamaican. You know, that's it's it's definitely it's a beautiful thing to be um a part of that heritage and to have mm-hmm. that um that culture because it's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, but at the same time. I also feel very much Black American. I yeah, I think that was something that for my parents um, understanding that was a little bit difficult because to them, they were raising Jamaican kids, but yeah. they had to also realize that they're raising American kids. So um, I feel also very, very connected to my Black American culture. And I think that's probably how we ended up meeting at the National um, Council of Negro Women back in the day because I was drawn to um, Black American history and Black American culture. Um, uh, all the time throughout my life because um, I felt very connected to it. So I, I definitely have this um, this intertwining of cultures, I feel. Tell us about, you know, getting married to, mm-hmm. to a Nigerian, having yeah. that experience and how that has intertwined your, your, your West Indian Jamaican heritage to your American heritage, nor your Nigerian heritage. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, you have to come over for dinner and then you'll get a real experience. I have oxtail and I have egg in my fridge right now. Like, it's a beautiful, I have everything. We had pounded yam yesterday and then two nights ago we had rice and peas. Like, it's a beautiful, beautiful blending. Um, And so it's, you know, I met my husband in medical school. Um, he followed me throughout medical school is what I like to say. Oh, wow. He probably say otherwise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, of course. But, right, you know, he was very romantic too, um, very sweet. Um, and he, he was Nigerian and moved to Canada when he was 16. So mm-hmm. he's uh, Nigerian-Canadian. And, um, and now we've been together, we've known each other for over 10 years and we've been married for five of them. Um, and we have one beautiful son, um, and we have embraced both of our cultures in raising him. So we're teaching my son how to speak Yoruba, which is the language that my husband speaks. Mm-hmm. And um, and like I said, you know, it's been my my Nigerian wedding was the first Nigerian wedding I'd ever been to. <laughs> wow. Um, my my parents-in-law both live in Nigeria, so we were I've visited them twice there now. It's been wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been, I love it. The Nigerian culture, particularly Yoruba culture is so rich. Um, the places that I've been when, when I visited, it was just, it was breathtaking, you know, just the experience. And again, because of, you know, I think anybody that's on the, that's within the diaspora, um, just that connection you feel when you go mm-hmm. home, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's just so welcoming. It was just, oh. Just lovely, just lovely. So I, I love it. I would not trade our our life or our experience for the world. And you you said it right. It's like you know you have a yam in your fridge. You have mm-hmm. some plantain. You know, yes. breadfruit. You got everything, everything. You have everything. I mean, I I love living in California because guess what? In mm-hmm. California, I can have guava. So I have oh. three guava trees. I'm jealous. <laughs> I have guava trees, and I planted my first passion fruit. And so to me, yeah, I'm telling you, California felt a lot like home to me. It it felt like Dominique. I'm going to come and visit you out there. I can't wait wait for you all to come. But, you know, you just mentioned that your husband and you and your husband have your first child. But tell us, because you're now 38 weeks pregnant, expecting your second. 
Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, wow, pregnancy man. <laughs> Is that in its own podcast? Yes, it does. <laughs> it's so <laughs> what was your first pregnancy like and, and how was it different from this one? So, oh my gosh, my first pregnancy, I used to joke that I would forget I was pregnant sometimes because I was so busy because I had been um, in my training program and mm -hmm. I was managing, um, oh gosh, so much. Just, we had moved across the country. We had, you know, from Michigan to um, Maryland, we had um, just gotten a house. So I was trying to get settled into that starting a new program. My husband started a new job. It was just a crazy time. And then also dealing with what I thought at the time was imposter syndrome, but what I learned later on were the insecurities of others around me. Yeah. Um, and then I, you know, just all of it had been really a blur, honestly. So yeah, this time around, it's, it's very different because I have taken a little bit of a break from clinical medicine um, to kind of give myself space to think and breathe, Wonderful. as well as um, raise uh, my son. You know, with the pandemic last year, things were just really getting hectic and I was feeling very burnt out. Um, so I ended up, um, you know, taking a position where I could work from home a little bit more um, and still focus on public health. Mm -hmm. um, I decided to, um, to, to really kind of give myself time to focus on me, which I didn't get a chance to do last time I was pregnant. That's but also I think being older and being pregnant comes with a lot of physical <laughs> limitations. Um, so it's been a little bit rough in that, that department um, yeah. where, you know, the hip pain is a lot more pronounced than it was last time. Like, I don't remember that happening. Um, but, um, but I, it's, it's been quite an experience. I won't lie to you. I'm not. And I think this is probably something that we don't talk about a lot, but I'm not one of these people that maybe like loves being pregnant. I loved being pregnant. Oh, like, you're one of those fun. And I was kidding. <laughs> and my mom did too. And she and she talks about oh this. Oh my Cried because she had five children. And she was like, oh, oh my gosh. She's a beautiful person. Yeah. yeah. And she is. Yeah. I tell her that all the time. I don't know how you did it. I have two. Yeah. I know. It's hard. Um, yeah. But I, I definitely, I, I love the babies that come after pregnancy. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> the pregnancy portion, <laughs> I am. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's hard. Yeah, I think I think we we just have to understand, you know, as women who have children, some women who don't, who choose not to have children, mm -hmm. it is one of the most selfless acts you will yes. do in your entire life. Yeah, and I think that a lot of women we don't talk about, you know, I think especially because um, from, you know older generations it's you know mm -hmm. people will even wonder like why would somebody ever not want to have a baby but you know pregnancy comes with a lot of risk mm -hmm. um to your own health as well as to your child's health when they're born so um it's not something even though a lot of people have babies and you know we we all hear good stories mm -hmm. um there there are definitely a lot of um of you know you know, thinking about the, the maternal mortality and infant mortality, you know, rates in the United States, for example, it's, they're not great, you know, and people forget that, I think. So I think whenever a woman decides that she's going to become pregnant, like, it's really her choice. Like, you know, if she wants to have children or not, mm -hmm. um, it's really her choice. Yeah. So 
I love I love that you said that because you know one of the reasons why I called the um, the podcast Beast Mamas because I just figured a, a mama is a, is a woman and that's any woman it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a woman with a child and and society gives us that perception that you kind of have to have and if you don't choose to have that something's wrong nothing's wrong it's a choice it's a choice like wearing some a different clothing compared to another it's a choice like walking down the street at one side or the other it's just a choice and a woman should never be made to feel inferior because of her choice right right absolutely yeah, I, I yeah so the pregnancy is going <laughs> <laughs> it's going we're almost it's going. there that's good that's it's good going. but i i want to you know just wish you a, a beautiful like birthing experience what was your birthing experience Thank like you. for your son um and what do you envision for your second child it was mostly traumatic <laughs> No, um, it was my son had he so he had um, not tolerated labor very well. And so I was on my like, you know, left side. And so the epidural never really became effective for me. And so um, when he was finally delivered, I I was able to uh, avoid the C-section. But by the time he was delivered, um, we found out that he had he had a knot in his cord, like a full knot. Like, you know, if you were to take, you know, a, a piece of rope and tie it around itself. So Every time I was having contractions, um, that knot was getting tighter and potentially Tight. limiting his blood supply. Yeah. So I always say that when he was born, because he also had the cord around his neck three times, we call it a nuchal cord. Um, when I always say when he was born, I was like, he was really meant to be here because that could have been a very bad situation. Um, and so I really think, thank God that he he did very well afterwards and he continued. He's so when you meet him, he's just a character. He really is sure a, a really sweet child. <laughs> um, and then um, and then postpartum, I actually had preeclampsia, which a, a lot of people don't talk about postpartum preeclampsia. Can you explain to our listeners it what it is? Yeah, sure. So, um, so during pregnancy, uh, because of the presence of the placenta, uh, the placenta um, can sometimes, well, they don't, they don't know the pathophysiology behind it exactly. Like, why some people believe that it has to do with like some tiny kind of clots that can happen in the placenta, but they really don't know exactly why it is that it happens. But um, a woman can experience um, this condition called preeclampsia where they'll have a high blood pressure and they'll have protein in their urine and their pee um, and can have significant swelling. Um, And that condition can escalate when the blood pressure becomes very high to this condition called eclampsia um, that can be associated with seizures and it has a very high morbidity and mortality rate. Um, and so, um, so preeclampsia, it's, it's thought that, you know, especially if you have eclampsia, the delivery of the placenta, you should be kind of clear of um, preeclampsia and eclampsia. But unfortunately, preeclampsia can still occur, um, I believe up to six weeks, but up until a certain point after you've delivered. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of women experience postpartum preeclampsia um, where they have the high blood pressure and the protein in the urine, and that high blood pressure can be very dangerous for women. Um, and so I experienced that um, about a week after I delivered my son and had to be readmitted to the hospital um, and was on bed rest and all of these things. So that's why I say it was a bit traumatic. But overall, you know, overall still a wonder, wonderful experience, but um, with a few, a few moments of, you know, a few scary moments in there as well. Yeah. So we, we send you blessings for, you know, your birthday you. experience for this time. Do you know if you're having a boy or a girl now or are you guys going to be surprised? Baby girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, 
congratulations wow. thank you so much thank how did you. your husband feel because i know my husband really wanted uh he wanted a boy first and then a girl like he got it i know yeah he was like so um yeah. he was overwhelmed with joy but at the same time i think part of him is like I have to raise a daughter. Like I have to like protect, protect her. her. I'm like, you have to protect your son too. You know, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. protect him, but yeah. I have to protect my daughter. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah so he's, I love he, it. but we're both, we're excited. We're really, really excited. When was the moment when you felt that you were beast mama? Oh, mm. Mm. yeah. That you showed up Nadine in a way that you've never done before where you had the strength to persevere and you conquered mm. anything and everything in front of you, that like you became the beast mama you were meant to be. Wow. Um, I would say during my training, my pediatric infectious disease training, so I was seeing patients in the hospital. I was managing my research with measles. And then I had um, extended my research to SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that um, causes COVID-19. Mm -hmm. um, and I was looking at the data in patients with um, MISC, MISC, mm -hmm. which are children who were having this unexplained inflammatory experience um, and condition after exposure to SARS-CoV-2. Mm -hmm. And so being at, coming from my at, like I mentioned, when I came into training as a, as a fellow, I had mm -hmm. zero experience in research. Like I had no clue. So I had been learning as I, you know, along the way. Um, and the pandemic happened in the end of my second year, starting into my third year. And so I, I really felt at that time, like, wow, I am a boss because I am <laughs> managing <laughs> being a mother a yeah. wife, those are two separate full-time jobs on their own. Yeah. I am managing a, you know, a, this clinical study that I was working on, as well as basic science research on this pro this topic. And then my mm -hmm. own separate, you know, um, experiment that I was planning, you know, to, that was a very extensive one. In addition to doing a quality improvement project and working wow. on book chapters. And like, I was just like, the list, it doesn't stop. Um, so it really was a time in my life when I was able to balance all of those. I felt um, like, wow, I am mm. making boss moves right now. Um, so I would say that was when I, I felt like I was a beast mama. Um, oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely, it was quite, quite a time, but I'm also very much able to recognize that I needed a break from all of that. Yes. <laughs> it was, it was, it was definitely intense. And so when I found out I was uh, pregnant again, I was like, I need to have a change of pace because mm -hmm. I don't know if this is going to be sustainable with a pregnancy as well. So Absolutely. Um, I think that was part of my experience of knowing that I was a beast mama, because I also knew when I needed to, you know, take care of myself and to focus on my own wellness um, to be able to continue to succeed. So like I'm shaking my head. I, I wish you could see me because when you said I I knew that I had to change pace, that in, in itself exemplified you being a beast mama because mama needs okay. rest too. And you yes, knew girl. that at that pace, you needed to slow down. You needed to change mm -hmm. the environment, conducive for your own health. Then everyone yes. around you, your husband benefits, you know, your son benefits, yes. and now your future daughter benefits. So congratulations on knowing that you just needed to change your environment to be more conducive for your own health. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's so, something that I think as women, we 
it original. I think now we're embracing it more. Mm-hmm. And I think it's beautiful that we're embracing our wellness. That's why I love like conferences like your um, Guys Essence Conference because Thank it's you. focusing on women and being good to ourselves. Like we need to be good to ourselves because we are, we take care of so many other people around us yeah. all the time, yeah. every day. Even it's like I said, like you said, you don't have to be a mother to to do this. You know, I feel like inherently a lot of women are taking care of so many different aspects of their lives and the people's lives around them. Mm-hmm. And it's like if we can't do well for ourselves, how can we do well for others? So um, I think it's so important to be able to to know our our wellness and to know when to slow down and to stop. Mm-hmm. How old were you when I met you? Oh gosh, I was a child. I was like, um, like I was like, I was probably like 17, 18, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You were really young. Really like, you were so yeah. young. Because you reminded me like of myself at that age. You I remember coming home and telling my husband, I just I just met this most amazing young lady. Oh my gosh. I remember like t- I've always talked to him about you. Like I show him pictures, like, look, she's you know, she's oh a doctor. Like I'm, I'm so I'm so proud of you, Nadine. And I know oh, your parents I'm, are the same. All right, you don't you see me, but cry. I'm like having a fangirl moment over here. I know, I'm like, I'm like, like oh, you don't make me cry. <laughs> yes, you're gonna make me cry. But I wanted to ask you because your parents, your sister, your older sister who lives in Mozambique, she knows who Nadine is. You know, your younger brother, he knows who Nadine is. You know, you guys grew up together in a beautiful home with a family that really worked to giving you guys opportunities to be yeah. successful. Not only the opportunities, but they gave you the mental fortitude to survive in this world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's key. Yeah. But I want to know, Nadine, who was that little girl before I met you? I met you in your teenage years. Who was that mm-hmm. little girl who became this powerful pediatrician? that we know today? Oh my gosh. Probably if you ask my, okay. So if you ask a few different people, my sister would probably be like, she was annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let me see, who was that little girl? Um, I would definitely say I was a curious soul. Mm -hmm. Um, Very, very from the beginning, you know, very, very driven. Um, because of what I saw, you know, my, my dad was at one point in our lives working three jobs to support mm-hmm. our family and to take care of us. Yeah. Um, my mom, she is her own beast mama. Like she yeah. w- was managing to get us to go from karate to dance, to swimming, to mm-hmm. all of these different things and work a full-time job. And then also yeah. write several books. Like she's this great <gasps> author. Um, she's, oh yes. My mom is like amazing too. She's got a textbook written for um McGraw Hill for like you know mammography and radiology radiologic technology we need to get your mama on this podcast you probably should honestly she's pretty amazing she's <laughs> she's like she was just interviewed by New York Times shameless plug shout I out to my mom the article. um yes she was just interviewed by New York Times for her her work with her nonprofit. like so seeing I think seeing a lot of the 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 drive that my parents had um mm-hmm. was a huge motivation you know was a huge motivation. And so it was very easy for me to know where, um, like what, what the bar is, like where the bar is, like, you know, I have to, I have to achieve this because um, my parents are doing their thing. So I need to get ready to do my thing, you know? So um, it was, it was definitely nice to have that. And then like my, my sister, I told you, my sister is also amazing. She like skipped two grades and like went to college early. Yeah. And then 
thought she was going to do law and then decided she loved education and is doing amazing work right now in Mozambique, um, especially when it comes to the, um, like, the curriculum and making sure that the, in not just one community, but like the, the schools, that the school and education system in Mozambique can function through things like this pandemic. So she's, she's doing some great work there too. Um, so we need all the sisters as well on this podcast. Yeah, we probably. I mean, <laughs> it's going to be the whole family. <laughs> the whole family is come. Um, it really is. It really has been amazing to have, you know, just to have these people in my life and to just see what they can do. And like I said, like you and um, some of the amazing women that I've met through my training and my career, it's been amazing to just to see the level that they're at and just to know that it is achievable. So I would say when I was young, I was curious and I had great mentors and great role models um, and, um, and was always hardworking, you know, always tried my best, always put my best foot forward. Wonderful. Can you share with us maybe some stories maybe that you've shared with, whether it's your mother or with your father or your siblings that really shaped you to who you became today? Special shout out to both my parents, for sure. You know, they, I think I've spoken about a lot of different people in my life. Like I talked about, there was a pediatrician that I knew when I, that was my pediatrician actually when I was younger, she was a black woman. It was nice to see um, her because that definitely helped me know like, oh, I can be a black woman and a physician too, and a pediatrician. Um, and, you know, even along the way, I have several mentors and people who have looked up to and said like, oh, wow, like, you know, this is somebody that I can be like, but I really have to give credit back to my mom and my dad. Um, I, I, you know, it can't, I can't, um, I could not have achieved anything that I have achieved today uh, without their unconditional love, support, motivation, you know, every step along the way. Some of it a little bit, you know, more intense at times than others. My mom, yeah. you know. Look, they were, no, they were West Indian, so you already know. Man, you know. <laughs> let me, let, let's get real now. You know. <laughs> um, they, they definitely had their ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if my mom wants me to say this on TV, on the podcast, <laughs> but I remember one time when I ran out of my, like, lunch money for school. <laughs> my mom was like, well, you know, starvation is a good diet plan. <laughs> it's like, what? I was like, okay. And then I remember one time I was in college and I, I told my mom, like, I didn't have money for gas. She's like, take the bus and build character. <laughs> it's like, what? Who says these things? A West Indian. A West Indian. My dad, like, all the time, like, I used to say, like, you know, just all of this, the West Indian, um, you know, phrases and, mm-hmm. and like my dad, what sweet nanny go agar on belly. Like, you know, all of these things have been, um, it's been my parents because it sticks. It really just sticks. Like what you're taught when you're growing up. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll never forget my father. He instilled this poem into us, this Jamaican proverb and poem into all three of us. We knew it probably from the time we were two or three. It goes labor for learning before you grow old. For learning is better than silver or gold. Silver or gold will vanish away, but a good education will never decay. Like that's that's what was instilled into me. From, yeah, from the time I was young. My yeah. my siblings and I, we all know that. We knew it from the back of our hands from the time we were like two, three, four, you know, young. Yeah, very young. So, yeah. Yeah. So it really was my parents um who who pulled me up, who yeah. um who made us all of us strive for better. You know, we're we're 
we're indebted to them forever. <laughs> Absolutely. And the older you get, you understand how your parents parented. And you yes. know now the challenges that they went through. And that's why yes. I call my mom and I say, I love you. Like, I know. Much more. And I remember her telling me, when you have your own children, you'll understand how much I love you. Yeah. I remember calling her and saying, I know now. Uh, yes, I understand. I understand how much you love me. Oh my goodness. I understand. Like, cause you had to love me because these children are crazy, man. What? <laughs> Why don't they sleep far? Why? Nadine, Why it's don't like, they sleep at night? It's but the thing about it is, and and that's something yes. that I want you. I'm telling to myself and all mm -hmm. the women out there who have chosen to have children. This is what I've concluded: we were mm -hmm. given the children we need to evolve as a yes. Oh my gosh, that is so true. <laughs> that that's is so it. true. They challenge you to be yes. better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you have to be yeah yeah yep. that is so true oh my gosh yeah i'm taking that one home thank you yes you're welcome that's mm -hmm. my one year um wisdom coming out of me right now but that's where i'm at it's like and they and and they're they're going through life they're learning to navigate you know, you're in your 40s, 30s, yeah. and you have challenges. Imagine what they're going through. Just oh. learning how to control their emotions. It's hard for them. Yeah. It's very hard. And so we oh. just have to be patient with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And be patient with us. We'll be patient with them. Period. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful time. Nadine, you know, to close up, I wanted to ask you one last question. Sure. Who motivates and inspires you? You motivate so many young women. I know because of just who you are, the people that you've touched along the way. You touched me along the way and you changed um, my life. So so who are your mentors to people that you just absolutely admire? Uh, the people I admire, um, so many, first of all, I have to say. I would definitely say my motive, my current at this point in my life motivation, mm -hmm. um, it's been my husband and my son. My husband has, he has actually, oh, I'm getting like emotional. Okay. <laughs> Thank goodness nobody can see me right now. If you need to no. cry, to laugh, whatever it is, you just, it's an emotion yeah. and you allow it to go through. And he has been my rock. I love that. You know that you're blessed to have a husband who loves oh, you unconditionally, so right? So blessed. Yeah. yeah. He has been my rock through some of the, the craziest times. Mm -hmm. He has found ways to support me um, like no other. Yeah. And I really thank God for him. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm happy, thank yeah. you for sharing. <laughs> thank you, no, he has been an amazing support. And I think that, um, you know, partners come in all different shapes and sizes. Mm -hmm. But when you find a partner that you, that can just support you mm -hmm. and just love you through your most yeah. difficult times, yeah. it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Well, Farah, why are you making me cry on your podcast? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. You know, I think, you know, sometimes we take for granted just how beautiful our lives are. I want this to be a place where anyone can come and just listen. And it mm. reminds them just how wonderful life is. Because guess what? 
someone just lost a loved one at a hospital like this right while we're talking and being grateful for everything that you have it's mm-hmm. it's the simple things and that's what we have to teach our children because sometimes we the stuff of the world gets very distracting yeah and they, they don't fully understand what life really is the the, the true components of life connections mm-hmm. that we share with others the moments that we have it's not the stuff the poem tells you you know you could have you know the silver and gold as much as you right. want but sometimes these things are taken away and sometimes right. they're taken away to teach us lessons mm-hmm. yeah. but what are you left with you're left right. with yourself are you okay mm-hmm. with being by yourself right Do you love yourself I have to to yourself. Mm-hmm. Didn't, you know, this was this was a beautiful conversation. I know we literally planned it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> but um but thank you for taking the time. You know, you're you're almost ready to give birth to your daughter and uh, you took the time to sit with me. I am honored. No, I I'm so I'm humbled that you invited me onto this platform and you know, I really hope that Um, the other beast mamas, because we're all beast mamas out here, um, you know, that they are able to, I don't know, even hear anything in here that resonates with them and touches them and um, and be able to use that to go forward and to push forward and keep doing better for themselves. So Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I love you. Thank you so much, Barbara. Thank you so much. Really, it's been it's been wonderful to be with you on today. So thank you oh, so you're much. You're always welcome. So have a wonderful day and we'll talk soon.